Chance on for Virgin all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a Brighton by three goals to nil. We've got Everton next and then Spurs. Plenty more on this episode in association with footballkitmarket.com. It's for Fox sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and I'm in For Fox Sake HQ1. As you heard last week, all nice and Christmassy. It's uh, it's actually a little bit too dark to read what scribbles I've got down uh, in front of me that I took during that game against Brighton. But it's all nice and Christmassy here. Rob, what a win. How are you? Very well, thank you. The tree is finally up. You'll be pleased to know. I put it up at uh, at the weekend uh, and had a very good weekend overall, really. Christmas decorations up. Had a little wander around the Christmas market down the road. Uh, and then Leicester went and put in arguably the first 45 minutes, the best 45 minutes of the season so far, possibly. Yeah, I can't really disagree with that at all. And I think many people listening to the podcast will say the same. They certainly said it on the three-word reviews. Many thanks for everyone for getting involved. Um, Fooking great, if you go for Christian Fuchs, is the first one. That's that's one there. Uh, We've got uh, Schmeichel saves us from one battle. We've got fine TV performance. Hello, to Perko, uh, James Justin underrated, we'll come on to him, abandoned long corners, mid-game adjustments, we'll mention that as well, a dominant performance, tactical masterclass, James Justin terrific, uh, trust the process, uh, back for works, uh, Justin tremendous performance, I like that, Gareth Bell, uh, that's the, the one for me really, the highlights, and uh, a beautiful Sunday evening, which was uh, Incredibly accurate as well. It was, wasn't it? So we, in this time when there's plenty of football, it's slightly awkward to then go back to the game in the Europa League. I think we'll talk about that in relation to looking at the draw that was made earlier on today, the game at home against AEK. But it was a, a really good performance. And you just said there, Rob, the best 45 minutes of the season. I, I think the first, say, 15 or 20 minutes... Neither side really was on top. It was I was watching the game at work, so I was watching in kind of fits and starts for the first, say, 20 minutes, and then I, I kind of got a good idea of what was going on after that, so I could concentrate more on it. And it looked to be fairly even for that first 20 minutes, but after that, the 25 minutes that followed, once the adjustment was made to go back to a back four, and then the space opened up out wide, and it was really used to full effect, especially by James Justin, who had a tremendous game. And that 25 minutes, I know it's easy to kind of look back at, at one game in particular, but Leicester were absolutely dominant in full flow. And it was only, I think it was only a few days prior where you go back four years uh, to the day where they beat Man City, where Vardy scored the hat-trick in the 2016 season after we'd won the league and he scored a hat-trick in that home game in the rain against Man City and I still label the first 20 minutes, 25 minutes of that game as 
the best 25 minutes I'll ever see Leicester play. When we were 3-0 up and Vardy ran right, Mares was on fire and also Slomani was in the game and, and was linking perfectly. And it was quite apt that it was in the same week, only a few days, that Len Leicester go and perform in that 25-minute spell, really. And I say that 25-minute spell was absolute peak Leicester. Brighton could not live with them. And I don't think many clubs in the Premier League and maybe even in the Europa League could live with Leicester in that 25 spell. It was free-flowing. It was confident. It was quick. It was full of intent, which is something that we've possibly lacked over the over the past few weeks in the in the little lull in performances and results everything was sort of clicking together and, and did click together after that after that change had been made um it it would have been interesting if if you'd have played a club or a team that were better than brighton or less soft really because i think that's brighton's main issue they've got a good team of footballers they've got a manager who is clearly a student of the game he's clearly got a style and an approach which he believes in, uh, and that the club believe in as well. But you know, if it was a if it was a club that that had a bit more about them, or a sort of top half Premier League team, would the changes that the the tactical tweaks that Brendan Rodgers made have had such an impact? Well, obviously, we'll never know. But you have to give credit to the manager, but also the players for for being able to make that change mid game realizing that Brighton had a couple of clear uh, clear cut opportunities in in that first 15 20 minutes as you say Pete where nobody really got a hold on the game there were spells of 5 minutes here or there for either team um Rogers recognized that the shape Brighton were playing was causing Leicester more problems they hadn't really necessarily planned to press that kind of formation so he made the change uh, at first glance, it just looked like all Brighton and Justin had switched sides for Justin to have a go at Burn. But but as it so, sort of unfolded, it was more of a four-two-three-one, as he explained afterwards. Um, and from then, really, Brighton weren't in the game. And you know, we can sit here and talk about that being the best twenty-five minutes of the season. Um, the second half didn't need to be. I think we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit more detail in a few minutes. But a few people whinging about. Um, the second half wasn't as e- easy on the eye as the first half, but it was job done, wasn't it? And and credit to to Justin, who was the main beneficiary, you've got to say, of the the tactical change. It certainly was. Fafano, Evans, Fuchs at the back in a back three, and then you switch to make it a four. So Justin goes back into the right back position, Fuchs on the left, and then you have the midfield two, Wilford and Didi, starting for Leicester. Really good to see Yuri Tillemans alongside him. And then you got the three behind Vardy with Iosi Perez and Mark Albrighton, slightly narrower than being wide of a three. And then in the centre, you've got the number 10, James Madison with Vardy up top. But those four all being very fluid, Albrighton would always kind of stick out on the wing. But... Ultimately, those three then further inside, just working really well with each other. And it created an awful lot of space for the fullbacks to get forward. Now, Christian Fuchs is not going to on that side because of his age, because of the, the type of player that he is. But he doesn't also need to because Albrighton's there anyway. And he's going to hold that position well. And on the other side, 
James Justin just ran riots and he had so much space to go into. He's, he really is turning into a very good player. He's so adaptable, but adaptable in the sense where you put him in a position and he's not only just going to fill that position and give a, a good solid performance, he's going to excel. I still think he's a better defender than I'd say many people give him credit for. I think he's a, ultimately a, a really good right-sided centre-back in a back three. As a right back, I think it's his ideal position. He can play out wide and a four when you play three four three. He does have skills going forward. He's always not going to be as good, I'd imagine. Who knows? He's improving all the time. But going forward as as Ricardo Pereira, and he would still be first choice. But then Justin can play on the left, and hopefully he can play and still carry on that improvement over on the left, if indeed Ricardo. And when you look at the players coming back from injury, Ricardo might actually just be slightly behind one or two others. But then again, they're all chopping and changing, depending on who picks up little niggles uh, between now and when they do come back. And it, it was it was just a, a really pleasing twenty five minutes. And the main, I say, corporate, the, the main instigator was a guy who was given an awful lot of stick, and deservedly so, on this very podcast last week. And I was told by a friend of mine saying, um, wow, you, you really laid into James Madison, didn't you? You, know, you really you know, gave him both barrels. So I listened back to the podcast, which I do, and I listened back, and yes, I did. So did you as well. And I stand by every single thing that I said last week. And uh, sometimes, if I listen back and go, hmm, maybe not, then I will say the week after, but no. I thought he's been really poor, and his dead ball situations have been horrible. But yesterday, he was immense. He was brilliant. Very, very slick in his passing. Uh, he wanted the ball, and ultimately scoring a couple of goals. One scrappy goal, but getting in the penalty area, which we like to see. And again, when the ball was, was ultimately pulled back towards him, there were players in there. And on a couple of times when, when the ball was in the box, there was Madison alongside Vardy and also Iosi Perez. There were players in the penalty area, which is great. That's what we want to see. And he scored the scrappy goal and ultimately scored what will go down as one of the goals of the season, if not the goal of the season for Leicester, a, a brilliant individual effort, which we'll, we'll come on to. But he was, as I said, very slick. He was the instigator in one-touch passing. If you look for the the Vardy goal, for example, the, the passing and the movement between Yuri Tillemans himself, also Iosi Perez, his link play with him with Jamie Vardy, and then ultimately back to Madison for the goal. It, it, it was it was really really pleasing on the eye. It was great. The, the slight, um, the slight tactical tweak was it wasn't say tactical. It was the the fact that because Wilfred Ndidi was in the side. I was keeping a, a close eye on Yuri Tillemans, and who's been great this season. And we know he's been playing further back, and it suited him, and it suited Leicester, and it's also suited the guy alongside him uh, in Papi Mendy. But because Ndidi played, I thought Tillemans, and also I have to also say that maybe the game situation and the fact that Leicester were, were on top, it helped but also, he just went slightly further forward. He got further forward, and he helped to start the passing move for that goal, as I mentioned. And uh, and that's only going to help Leicester. It really is. And overall, it, it, it was fantastic. But just back to, to James Madison, I don't think there's any surprise in when he scored. 
the first goal. He then runs over to Brendan Rodgers. And I think, and this is just a personal opinion, but when he did that, my initial thought, someone at work actually turned around and said, um, why, is he, why has he done that? What, what, what does that represent? Is it because of, is there something happened at the club or whatever? And I just went, no, I think he's been given, he, he, he did that as a kind of a thanks to say, you could have dropped me and possibly should have dropped me because of my performances. But this is what I can do. Thanks very much for keeping me in the side. That's what I got from it. It could be wider than Mark, but that's my interpretation of, of that celebration because it was very obvious that he went straight to Rogers. Yeah, that was my initial reaction as well because we didn't sit here and slate him so much on the podcast last week. We We didn't have too much... Uh, in the way of positive remarks about his recent performances, I think is is a way that we would sum it up if you haven't had a chance to listen to last week's episode. Um, and I think we were well within our rights to, to comment on what we had seen and the evidence in front of us. I don't think we sat there necessarily and generally called James Madison a, a poor footballer, but we said that his form hadn't been up to scratch. And, and you know, he said it himself, he didn't have a full pre-season. He's had a couple of little niggles throughout the season already. Um, so he just wasn't quite there with various aspects of his game. Yet, on Sunday, he absolutely ran the show. As you say, he was very positive, moved the ball very quickly. I still think he hangs on for a second too long, but you know, sometimes he, he then manages to turn into a space that wasn't previously there and pick an even better pass than the one that's perhaps more obvious so that's that's the sort of fine line with a with a attacking midfield creative player um James Madison's got a refreshing attitude because he hasn't thrown any toys out of the pram he responded well by scoring that goal and going over and celebrating with the manager who you know we, we've talked a lot about about various aspects of Brendan Rodgers management style um tactically yes we we talk a lot about it and more often than not um at the helm for Leicester he's got it absolutely spot on there's been the odd time where it's just not worked out and and that happens in football but his man management seems to be excellent as well because I wouldn't say James Madison has a fragile confidence far from it he's he's very much he very much believes in what he can do but I think you're absolutely right Pete he will have been very self-reflective of his own performances. You know, we're not sitting here on the podcast seeing things that James Madison isn't seeing himself. Um, and as a professional footballer and as someone that strikes me as as one that is really driven to to make improvements year upon year, game upon game, uh, in his all-round contribution to the team, then he'll have seen that and he'll have been working, well, trying to work extra hard. He'll, we, we heard that he wasn't actually in training very much in the last week because of an injury, which makes Sunday's performance all the more remarkable. But he would have been driven to want to come back out and have another go, whereas these other a lot of other players who wear the number ten shirt and and, and have a bit of flair, I think they're the the creative player, wouldn't necessarily have that application and that attitude. And it was rewarded yesterday. Um, he was rewarded with it with another start from Brendan Rodgers and, and some responsibility in um, behind the front two or or from one, depending on what the formation was at the time. Um, and then Brendan Rodgers got his reward for his faith in Madison with a performance like that. So it strikes me as, as the fact that those two have a really good working relationship. Uh, and maybe Madison went over to him for a little bit of show to say, look, 
here I am, I'm I'm on side with the gaffer, the gaffer's on side with me, um, and everything is absolutely rosy. But it, it's it's really positive man management, and and it shows that that Rogers is able to deal with certain players and personalities in in the right way, and that is a very promising thing because you know some managers have only got that. Some managers have got the arm around the players and they've got coaching staff who go and deliver all the sessions and do all the tactical stuff. And then you've got some others who are absolutely crap with the players, can't, can hardly speak to them. You know, you could never go and knock on the manager's door for a chat, but they're really good tacticians. Brendan Rodgers seems to have a, a, a terrific blend of both and both of those things showed yesterday. I had the very uh, misfortune, ultimate misfortune really, of... Uh, when finishing work on the on the Sunday late in the evening and um and then driving back and and, and actually whilst uh, trying to find a, a podcast to listen to on the way back I accidentally clicked over to uh, Five Live and I caught part of uh, what was the six oh six phone in uh, which was completely unlistenable it was horrible Robbie Savage and and Chris Sutton oh gee and they were talking about Brendan Rogers and and actually Savage was talking about how He's an elite manager, this, that, and the other. But some of the people who I listen to about five minutes of it, oh my word, it's it, it, it's very odd because, and we've been in this position before. But when you get a club who all of a sudden start playing well and they rise up into, I want to say a false position because if you're in a position in the league, then you deserve to be there. You earn them points, but you're maybe slightly higher than you would normally be on an average season then great things are going well and you will big up managers and you will say oh this guy's the best thing since sliced bread etc but to keep teams there and to build and to make sure it's not a one-off that takes something else but then also to keep on going from level to level to level and I think Leicester fans on on a whole they do this very well but uh, I think at the moment they really just need to every now and again just take a, a little step back and look at the overall picture and go, you know, we're in a, a really, really strong position in the Premier League as a club, very strong with the training ground, etc. All the things we know, but also the coaching setup, the manager that we've got, the fact that we've gone and spent all that money on Fafana, and the players that we will hopefully then bring in are to that certain level. I think they will be from now on. It's it's such a good time. And yes, we can argue about three at the back, four at the back, going forward. And there is going to be the odd performance of this season, of all seasons, uh, where it cannot go right. And we need to, yes, question players' performance and criticise them regarding their form. But ultimately, someone like Madison is a very good player. And he showed that yesterday. Brendan Rodgers... The ability to then just change things halfway through the first half, uh, almost recognise where the game was going in relation to how Brighton were playing, but also to quickly go, hang on, plan A's not working, let's not hang around to a half-time, bang, change it. And and then Leicester really take hold of the game. And uh, it's it's interesting because, like I said, we, 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 we did... Uh, criticise him, but again, it wasn't him as a person. I think he's a—he's actually for saying he's a, you know the, the flash Harry young footballer who's signed that big long contract at Leicester and he's earning the big bucks now, so he is one of the main players. Um, he actually in his interviews and he seems in his game as well. He's not the uh, the shy away 
kind of footballer. He he seems to be a good egg. Do you know what I mean as a person? And uh, and yeah, and more power to him because it, it was just a performance which hopefully we'll see more of this season. And he was essentially, I think, for that final twenty minutes of the first half, unplayable. The the goal which will stand out in the game, a lot of people will, and instantly it was easy to see. Riyad Mahrez against Chelsea in the title-winning season. Similar. Going one way, going back, going again, and then going again to score and curling it in the far corner. It is a different goal. Which is the best? That's a nice little argument to have or a discussion. I would still go with Mahrez because the initial control was one of the highlights of it, really. As much as the finish was amazing, the opponents, the situation in the game, and et cetera, et cetera, was, it was just, there was more to it for me. But this goal was was fantastic. First of all, the, the initial move, but then to get to himself in the penalty area, to go one way or the other, and then to go onto his wrong foot, and to do that with his left foot, was well, it was a, 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 a fantastic goal. That. There's nothing really more. A fantastic individual goal to cap off a wonderful 20, 25 minutes of football. It was a real shame no one was there to see it, but there's obviously bigger things at play. And are we expecting James Madison to do that every week? No. But if you look at some of the goals he has scored this season, you look at some of the goals in the Europa League and the first goal, he's getting into the penalty area. We want to see more of that. And I think a James Madison... Playing in that kind of form would only increase, when he can play, obviously there might be resting, etc., himself in a number 10 role. And you've got on one side Ayuzi Perez then to help out with, with obviously duties further forward with, with Vardy, the interlink there. The inclusion of Ndidi is crucial, even though Mendy has been exceptional really this season and then on the left you can have someone like Albrighton I still think Harvey Barnes would be ideal on that position because even though he would like possibly would suit his game to be further out wide he can still play in that role and and be lethal and the fact that he's not playing at the moment overall you look at the bigger picture it's not really an overall a big issue because we've just won two games in the Premier League on the bounce but also when you're in European football, we've we've had this kind of two-team scenario. It's developed in recent weeks, hasn't it? That's now ended. But we now go from a game during midweek in the Europe and a game at the weekend in the Premier League to midweek Premier League, weekend Premier League. So that scenario might still remain, but they two sides might be slightly more merged together. But um, just back to that game fantastic and in second half managed very well uh, managed some of the players bringing off like some Ndidi for Mendy that would be an ideal scenario going further forward and I imagine there's a big possibility maybe even of Mendy starting against Everton and maybe the role reversal maybe Mendy playing 45 to an hour and then Ndidi coming on that could be something we'll see Um the defence uh, overall you know very solid for Farner again looking comfortable but um, one issue will be or is it the yellow card given to Johnny Evans because he now misses the game against Everton? But then again, if you were to select a game in the next, say, five matches for him to miss, would it be that game? That's uh, that's one question, Rob. But uh, yeah, overall, a great win. Yes, Madison goal, not quite as good as the Mares goal, I agree with you. But the thing is, a Madison playing with the confidence of the James Madison we saw a couple of weeks ago doesn't score that goal. Not just from a technical point of view, but 
the, the defenders didn't dare make a challenge on him because he was changing direction so quickly and he was so um so sort of in the moment and and able to to try that kind of thing whereas a couple of weeks ago he might have put his foot on the ball had a little drop of the shoulder, decide he can't beat his man and then come back out of the penalty area and look for another option. The defenders couldn't touch him because they'd seen him change direction so quickly, a couple of times in very quick succession. Um, and then you think you've got yourself, your body between him and the ball, and he wraps his left, uh, between him and the goal rather, and he wraps his left foot around a, a sensational finish. It's a, it's a really, really top level goal. And James Madison has now shown in that game what he is capable of we've seen it before in a Leicester shirt of course we have otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here saying that we we know he's a, a very very good footballer um but he set the bar for the performance levels that we can come to expect will he be able to reach that kind of dizzy height every week absolutely not that's that's you know that's sort of world-class Cristiano Ronaldo handful of players in the entire world kind of level but should he be aiming to make that kind of positive contribution to most matches most of the time absolutely um, and hopefully this gives him the platform upon which to build um, a lot of people before the game when the team sheet was announced would would have been surprised I think to see all Brighton starting again with with Barnes and under having played so well in in midweek maybe expecting one of one if not both of those to get a start but Obviously, hindsight's a wonderful thing. That's why we do the podcast after the game, because we get to talk about it. Um, but without Mark or Brighton on the field yesterday, those tactical changes would have been much, much more difficult. Now, Barnes, Barnes wouldn't have been able to start in that in that kind of shape in place of all Brighton anyway, because we started with the intention of playing wing-backs and Harvey Barnes, is, is that's not a position for him. Um, he could play left of a three, if you're playing a 4-2-3-1, or he could play a left of a three if you're playing a 4-3-3, fine. But or Brighton gave us that flexibility, that steadiness. He played in three different positions, or Brighton, and I think he, he deserves a lot of credit for that. He's kind of like our version of um, Liverpool's James Milner, kind of, albeit not quite so good, I've got to say. But yeah, overall, very, very strong. And, and I agree with you again about Evans as well. Um you wouldn't want him to miss any games, ideally, because he is such an important figure for for Leicester and he was captain on Thursday night. I, I'm not sure whether that's the first time, but it's quite a rare occasion for, for him to be captain of the side with no Schmeichel or Morgan around um, in the starting lineup. So he, that, that shows the sort of um, level of authority and leadership that he's got within the squad. Um, and... He will be a miss, but at least he's only a miss for one game and he'll be back for the majority of the festive period. Yeah, and when you look at the team that could possibly play against Everton, it's going to be possibly force the hand of of Brendan Rodgers to go with a back four. Um, and just, just to reiterate about Wilfred and Didi, he had, a, he had a really good game. His presence in the midfield, I'm just thinking whilst you were talking there about what I said about Mendy maybe starting. It depends regarding Ndidi's fitness. Uh, one option possibly, just thinking kind of out loud, because of the heights that Wilfred Ndidi adds to the side, the lack of Evans will be a big issue. Now, Ndidi could well then maybe start, but with the look to maybe bring in off Ndidi maybe earlier, maybe after an hour. It depends on how he is. He might be absolutely fine. 
but his passing was very good. He's, he, I thought Pep, uh, there is a stat actually with Mendy where his passing stats are very good in terms of accuracy. He's got a very high percentage. I think he's in the top five in the Premier League for the accuracy of his passing, which is no surprise because he only passes the ball five or ten yards. But still, with the amount of passes that he's done, that still a, a, it proves how good a season he's had so far because that was an element of his game which was really quite poor. But um, I think indeed he's just thinking he might well if he's okay, be given the start because the lack of Evans is going to be a problem regarding heights. Now, who could come in for him? Looking at the bench against Brighton, you've got Wes Morgan. I'd imagine they would try and find other options than to play Wes from the start. But if they were going to play Morgan, then I think there's more likely they'll play in a back three and you can plonk Morgan in the centre and then have Fuchs and Fafana either side. Um, and then keep the rest of the side roughly how it was. If there's any interchange of players, it would be more than like for like. Uh, the other option I can see would be if Morgan plays, then he plays in a, a back two and he plays alongside Wesley Fafana. And then you have on one side, you maybe have Christian Fuchs probably more than likely to add a bit of height at left back if he's okay to play straight away and then on the other side would be James Justin that would be fine so there are one or two options depending on whether he plays you could maybe play uh, Christian Fuchs in the center and then you could play Thomas maybe at left back and that would be an option but uh, yeah it will be a problem for Leicester um, a big problem but again as I said with him being on four yellow cards at the time, he could maybe have missed the game against Tottenham or, or the game against Manchester United. On So it, it, it's it's possibly the lesser of all those evils, the game against Everton. Uh, the rest of the side, I agree with what you said, actually. It's, it's a good uh, likeness. James, uh, uh, what's his, uh, Mark Albrighton, that's who he is, plays for Leicester, um, with James Milner. That, that, is, that is possibly... Maybe in a few years' time, more accurate. But he's been, uh, he's been, he's been very vital, hasn't he? He's been a, a vital member of the squad. We needed everyone to kind of um, put their hands up in the air and perform, and he really has in various different positions. And if you look at, I know the way that they started with three four three, but if we're going to go with this four at the back and then the two holding midfielders, three behind Vardy there's more than likely a chance that Albrighton will play in that role on the left of those three. Now, you would instantly play someone like Harvey Barnes. I think if you took a poll of Leicester fans now and you had that formation laid out and you had a blank in that position, who plays there? It's going to be more than likely in the 90% are going to go for Barnes or Genghis under. That's going to be the player. Albrighton wouldn't necessarily be that first-team pick. He gives you the option of, if they go to a back three, he can easily fill in on the left. Great option. If, indeed, the left back gets taken off or we need to change the left back, he could then fill in and do a job during a game. You wouldn't necessarily start him in that position. But he is versatile, so he does give you that option. But, at the moment, he's keeping some big players out of the side. And I think if they do go for that formation, there's more than good chance that Albrighton will actually keep his position in the side. I, personally, if they do go for a back four, which, if you bend my arm, I think they might, um, I wouldn't play him. I think on that side, you would look towards the game against EA Athens where you had, on the left, Thomas, 
and further forward Barnes and they worked really well in that game and looking at the Everton game that's probably what I would go for because on the right we know the axis of having Iosi Perez who more than likely will start and James Justin who was fantastic against Brighton you wouldn't want to change that so I think you've got the left hand side Thomas and Barnes brilliant performance two games ago and then you've got Justin and Perez a brilliant performance in the last match that is what I'll go for it suits Madison in the middle and it suits the rest of the side you just look at the centre half who's going to play there well one's going to be Wesley Fafana and the other one well it could be Fuchs it could be Wes Morgan take your pick more than likely in fact it will be both of them maybe one play for an hour and then the other one come on that's ideally what more than likely will happen so that's what I would go with against an Everton side who have been uh, up and down with form but do come into the game on the back of a win against Chelsea it's nice to have all these options to talk about in in terms of who replaces Johnny Evans and and the fact that we have shown well especially in yesterday's game that we can play two three formations even change in the game and still be nice and effective and and players know their roles inside out which is excellent to see you know sometimes you see teams change formation to try and uh, counteract the the opposition and then they leave gaps because people don't know where they're supposed to be Leicester were very well drilled and they knew exactly where they needed to be so to have these options is great I think another option that um that that we have is that maybe Justin could tuck into the back three with Fafana in the central position, Fuchs on the left of the back three, Thomas left wing back or Brighton right wing back. It'd be a shame for, for Justin to have the shackles put on momentarily. Um, but again, that would show his versatility as well. The fact that he, as, as Brendan Rodgers again said after the game yesterday, he's played um, in a back three, he's played... Uh, either full back in a back four he's played either side wing back you know he's he's played in five or six positions in his very short Leicester career so far and yesterday was kind of like a coming of age performance for James Justin because when we first saw him start to break into the first team mainly out of necessity um, we thought there was a, a lot of raw talent there it, that was clear Um but we weren't sure how long it would take him to get up to speed with the Premier League. And this season, he's he's played every single Premier League minute, which is a, a phenomenal stat um, for somebody that, that a couple of years ago was playing for Luton in League One. Um, and he's done so in, as I've just said, four, five, six positions. It's a real, real testament to the to the quality of the player, but also the, the attitude that he has, um, the adaptability, the versatility... He's he's a, become a real asset to this team very quickly, as he's had to. Um, or Brighton, we've known about forever, and you know you, what job you're going to get from him. Most of the time, you're going to get a 7 out of 10, regardless of where you put him on the field. Justin was a bit more of an unknown, but he, like somebody young like Fafana as well, has, has, has come in and has done a, a phenomenal job, really. Uh, and I'm really pleased for him for that performance on Sunday. But... <laughs> Sorry, James. I think I think personally that Rogers is going to stick to the guns um, that have served us so well for the majority of the season and start a back three. And and I think it looks like he's doing anything he can to keep Wes Morgan off the pitch at the moment. I think it will be a Justin Fafana and Fuchs back three, Thomas to come back in at left wing back or Brighton right wing back. 
Um, and then it is about the management of Ndidi. You're absolutely right. Could we see him dropping at centre-half? Probably not, but maybe it's another option. He started there at the beginning of the season um, and then still have Mendy in the centre of midfield. I don't know. It's it's nice to to be considering all of, all of these options in all of the positions, you know, because you, then then you've got Barnes and Under knocking on the door to to get on the field of play as well. So lots and lots of positives here, and all really coming from one or two players starting to come back from injury. Because there's also sort of whispers that uh, Castagna is maybe in contention to at least be part of the match day squad on uh, Wednesday night against Everton. So we will wait and see. But I think Everton are an interesting side because they're very patchy uh, from game to game and also within games. I watched them against uh, Fulham a couple of weeks ago and they they were very, very good in short spells but got outplayed in others. And I think they're definitely there to be be got at. Yes, they got a win... um, at the weekend against Chelsea, but before that, their form had been very poor. Um, and we've got all the confidence in the world. Top tag group, 3-0, cruising win against Brighton. Uh, and I can only see the same positive result on Wednesday night. Yeah, fingers crossed. They are a really strange side, aren't they, Everton? Started the season like a bullet from a gun. Seven out of seven. All going well. And uh, and then, really, the... say the the likely results started to happen. They they really went off the boil. I, I think in a, in a few games, they missed uh, James Rodriguez and then he came back into the side and it really didn't quite work out. They they completely changed their midfield, didn't they, at the start of the season, which was the part of the side, if you see, you know, sometimes it's quite easy to turn around and say, oh, we need a whole new midfield. Everton, they needed a whole new midfield. And guess what? Within or with seven days to go in the transfer window, they actually just went out and bought three players in midfield. Or to completely change it round. They got Alan with um Decore and James Rodriguez. Now Rodriguez is out injured, so he's not going to play. And um so you got Gilfis Sigurdsson kind of lurking around, who always does well against Leicester. He was possibly going to move to the club, weren't he? For um, all sorts of money. And uh it, it it's it's slightly off balance and they've still got a lot of talent in there and they can still throw in a great performance and upset some of the big boys. Beating Chelsea at the weekend was a prime example, a flying Chelsea to keep them. And, and the one aspect of Everton is that you always think they can concede goals. I don't think they've got a, a great defence. Um, the goalkeeper's a mess, isn't he, Pickford? But um, you think that you can score against Everton. You think that they will concede. And to hold Chelsea uh, is quite a thing, really. That was a really good win for them. And, and But they've got DCL up top. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, 11 goals in the Premier League. Uh, it's just absolutely on fire, isn't he? And he hasn't stopped. And he's going to be a real threat. Richardson, when he was injured or when he wasn't playing, that was a real problem for Everton as well. He's now back playing well. And his link play with Calvert-Lewin and then maybe a Wobie on one side as well, depending on who will play there. They they have a lot of talent in their side and they will, I think, cause problems. And they've got that side, Everton, where... And I know this can happen with any side in the Premier League, in football in general, but I think with Everton, if you're playing well against them and you're maybe winning 1-0, then and they're maybe playing poorly, I think they've got the players in there to all of a sudden just click and turn it on. And you know... With 
Calvert-Lewin and he can just poach a goal. It seems that it, it's his season, isn't it? They're going in in any way, shape or form, either a good finisher, he's a good header of the ball, but also he's had the goals which have deflected off him. He's had the ball kicked against him and they've gone in. And more power to him. It's a, He's a very good player. Coleman might return for them, which will really help them out because they've suffered um, in the fullback positions. If they play four at the back, the likes of, say, Holgate and even Godfrey, who they signed from Norwich for big money, but he's not a fullback and he's been kind of shoved there kind of out of necessity. So they have had their problems and hopefully they continue on Wednesday. I, I take your point if Leicester play anywhere near like they did in that 20-minute spell. I, I can't see anything but Leicester having a positive result. I think it's I don't think they're going to turn them over 3-0. I think Everton are a much stronger side than Brighton, who who ultimately looked back on the game and they were they did kind of fold quite easy. I still fancy Leicester's chances. I think if again we start quickly, or at least in the first half we do put pressure on and we get in front. I think if Leicester get in front they are a very dangerous side, especially at the King Power, because we can break so quickly if eventually teams really do pile the pressure on. But also when our tail's up, as shown against Brighton, we can rip any side apart. And I just I just really like, as much as Madison can score these goals and throw in these performances and Tillemans and and other players on the side really stepping forward and, and Wilfred and Didi and Justin bombing forward from right back. I just really like Iosi Perez in that position, linking with Vardy and just having more of a presence up top. Is he the best player in the world? Of course he isn't. Is he limited and frustrating? Yes, he is. But ultimately, he's a really good link player. He can finish and he just makes that side click. He really does. Maybe not just through his own play, but just by having that presence to go further forward and to link with Vardy. And you can turn around and go, well, surely you could play anyone in that position and tell them to do that. But it comes natural to him. And uh, I think if he starts, um, I, I just see Leicester winning. I see Leicester winning. And hopefully the problems at the back without Evans, it's going to be a problem. But hopefully... They can just manage it at the back. Um, if we're going to look for scores, why not? Um, I went for 2-0, didn't I, in the last game? So um, I was one goal off. I think with the issues at the back, I can see Everton scoring. And it more than likely will be Calvert-Lewin. But I, th I think Leicester have more firepower going forward. And I can see Leicester winning 2-1, maybe even 3-1. In fact, I'll go for 3-1. Um, why not? So 3-1 City for me. You go 3-1, I'll go 2-1 then. Uh, I'm also going to go for a Liverpool and Spurs draw so that we go top of the league. And then we've got one more game before Christmas to win to stay top of the league. Top of Christmas. Again. I mean, <laughs> that would be that would be great. Funny enough, I didn't actually think of that. Um, looking at the, the fancy football this week, which we'll come on to, don't really want to, but there we go. Oh. <laughs> do we, do oh, we have to? In a bit, yeah. But... Um, yeah, so Spurs are playing Liverpool's, you know, and then we go to Tottenham at the weekend, which we might as well touch on now, really, Rob. Not knowing who's going to be playing, etc., etc., etc. But it's going to be difficult. First up, there's going to be no fans there for a start. I don't. It's a really awkward scenario. I suppose actually now it doesn't really matter because. London now in tier three, but I think there's still going to be places elsewhere. I don't know whether Southampton or or some places are going to go back to tier three or whatever. 
But when you look at these 2,000-odd fans, first of all, brilliant. Great to have fans back in the ground. Fantastic. la di da di da Great. But there is a sporting aspect to this, and some clubs are allowed fans in the ground and some aren't. Now, we know why, and there's no reason in going into it, but the more you look at it, and first of all, I was one of those supporters when I was like, just get them in. Get them in the ground, okay? But the more you look at it now, and also the more you look at results of sides who have supporters in the ground, and from a a betting aspect, which obviously is is, is what I do with work and stuff, um, it has made an effect, I believe. I think there has been an effect. And the more you look at it on a sporting basis, it isn't fair. And, then you know, there's obviously bigger pictures at play here. But when you look at the Premier League and is having 2,000 fans going to save a Premier League club? No. Is 2,000 fans going to benefit them in any way, shape or form financially? Not really, because they're going to have to spend money on you know, stewards, etc. And, and, and more facilities or more people to run those facilities. And ultimately, the club's really rich anyway, so 2,000 fans ain't going to make um, any difference whatsoever. It's great that they're there, but... Uh, when you're Leicester and you're going to go to the Tottenham Stadium and there's going to be 2,000 Spurs fans, you're looking at it going, well, hang on, this isn't actually quite right, is it? The the bigger picture in terms of football and sporting. Um, but now they're not going to be there, which can only help us, really, can't it? I think so. The thing is about Spurs, though, that, that Mourinho's turned them into a Mourinho team this season. And... It... <laughs> Some of the games over the last week or so where fans have been allowed back in have been, you know, some people have argued that it's made a difference. And and I think in certain cases it has. Teams like Fulham maybe, for example, have just got that extra little lift. You know, the, the players maybe have that extra spring in their step knowing they're playing in front of actual people for a change. But I think Tottenham Hotspur will approach the game in exactly the same way as they would have if they were... 2,000, 80,000 or zero people in their nice shiny new stadium um, and they're a really formidable outfit under Mourinho it, he, for, for a world class manager most, most of those managers win trophies by, yes of course they've got to have the team set up to win games no matter what but a lot of them win with sort of superstars who play lots of great football Mourinho's always been that kind of manager that if he needs to, he will park the bus and get the result. Um, and that's what makes Spurs very, very difficult to beat. And that's how they've managed to to climb up to the top of the Premier League. But, you know, we talk about a few weeks ago about Leicester-Liverpool maybe not being the be-all and end-all of our season, but, it, but it's still being a, a, an important game. This one, I think, is is... Even more so, I think there's more riding on it because Spurs and Liverpool play each other in this week and then we go to play Spurs at the weekend and then we've got United coming up the following weekend. It's it's all starting, especially because you've got the whole possibly top at Christmas thing. There's, there's, there's more importance on that Tottenham game than I think there was a few weeks ago in the Liverpool game because we're just a few games further into the season. Things have started to settle down. And really, you'd expect a few teams to drag themselves back into contention 
Um, Man City, I, d- I don't think, will be out of the picture for, for too much longer. So a game against somebody like Spurs, who I think is, is probably going to be um, very, very close to us, hopefully come the end of the season, in terms of battling for, what, third, fourth, potentially. Um, and this game isn't, obviously, it's not going to gonna have a, a, a lasting effect on that, but sort of for for morale and for, you know, just to sort of say, look, we, we beat Spurs earlier on in the season. It, it's quite an important game, especially because they're the form team at the moment. They're, they're not losing games. All right, they they were probably a little bit too conservative against Palace this weekend and they and they got undone by a former Fox in Jeffrey Schlupp. But they're going to be very, very difficult to beat. I think Everton have got holes. Everton play patchy. Spurs will 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 struggle to find a way through, and an away draw I think would be um, a good result. Hopefully, it's an away draw that keeps us top of the Premier League. Well, yeah, I'll take a point now. Definitely, they have really turned into a a, a Jose Mourinho side. They've already had, they've already got the forwards there. That was a problem with Jose at Manchester United. There's a thousand problems with Mourinho. I'm not a fan personally. Not a fan. Is he a decent manager? Of course he is. His record stands alone um, at the top of, of many lists, really. But he's, he is he's a horrible person. I, I, I don't spy this kind of, oh, it's Jose. Oh, look at him. Isn't he a, a cheeky this and the other? Oh, he's a, he's a, he does this. He says this for this reason. No, nah, come on. That, that ship has sailed a long time ago. But what he had at Spurs was Young Min Son, Harry Kane, and now they've brought in Bale. But also, then you go further back, a, a reasonably solid defence, which always improves under Mourinho, and a very weak midfield. In fact, you're looking at kind of like Spurs going, they are what Everton were, but they were just always slightly better in, in all areas. And they needed kind of a new midfield. They needed toughening up in that uh, department. And... They they really have the the inclusion of Koyberg is is essentially Jose on the pitch, and when they won two nil the other day the other week it was two nil up straight away, and then close the shop, and that's Jose down to an absolute T. It will be fantastic to get a point there. We know Harry Kane's record against Leicester is amazing. They are really good going forward, but it is a game where. If we have a positive result against Everton, and who knows what can happen regarding Liverpool and Spurs, if we are in the position when we are top, then I think if we are successful at Spurs, or we do get a point or whatever, and we do go into Christmas and then Boxing Day against United, and we're in pole position in the Premier League, that surely will give the players that little bit of a kick and I know that might sound obvious, but you, you always have to look to last season with Leicester because we're in a very similar position. I know the world has changed, it's all different, but in terms of just football, we're still there in that position like we were last year. What will happen? Will we fold like we did last term? I don't think so. I think this is a different side who have grown up another year, the younger players, the additional two or three players as well have really helped. And I just don't think looking at last year things repeat as they do. I think each individual year has its own merits. You look at sides who are 
towards the top of the league all the time. And yes, one or two results can make their season. I don't think that will be the case with Leicester. But I think you could look back at Spurs away this weekend on the basis of that we beat Everton, by the way. This is all a premise of being top at Christmas. And that would really give the side a boost to go, look, lads, we've got so far now. We've got towards the top of the league. We're at the top of the league. We're qualified through to the Europa League, which we'll talk about in a minute. Here we go. Knuckle down. This is serious now. We know what happened last season, but let's go and let's kick on because there's going to be so many games coming up. They're in the, right in the middle of that now. And that will make a lot of difference. There's going to be sides through this time of the season where they're going to go bang, 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 win, 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 and go straight through up towards the top of the league because they've got, and it's a, a word that's been used an awful lot, momentum, and people, some people, there's no such thing, rubbish, absolute garbage. Um, you get that momentum. And momentum sometimes can last the season. Christ, we know that. But it also, and more likely, and, and does with most clubs, either good or bad, happen in three or four game spells. And when you're playing Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, which we will be over the next few weeks, in fact, more than that, winning, 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 it really, really rolls into each other. Losing, losing, losing. That will roll into each other. And getting a positive result against Everton, going to Spurs, getting a positive result, even if it's just a draw, that doesn't matter. Because if we're top at Christmas, that draw in the eyes of the players and the supporters turns into a win because we're top at Christmas. And, uh, well... What a what a boost that would be. Ignore trying to do anything in the world of football just for Leicester fans for Christmas. What a present that will be for this year or all years to be top at Christmas. Especially at the extent of such a lovely club that we have a wonderful relationship with, uh, such as Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, I saw the old... Um, uh, who came third in a two-horse race, uh, memes coming back out already, uh, knowing what we've just spoken about um, in terms of the fact Spurs have got Liverpool, uh, and then we've got Spurs, and we could sort of take them down from where people are talking of them as title challengers to, to being outside of the top two in one fell swoop, really. Uh, it, it's a bit mad, actually, really, that we're sat here talking about possibly being top at Christmas. Obviously, a lot of things have got to happen in the next... 180 minutes of football for that to be the case uh, and also having topped our group in the Europa League gone through as a seeded team which was important because there's some very strong teams in the Europa League um, both originally in it and tumbling down from the Champions League as well um, and we've got a draw against a team who are um as, as you reminded me just before we started uh, the podcast this this evening, Pete, unbeaten. Give me give me the stats. We've got Slavia Prague uh, to play in February, so it's a quite a bit of a, a wait now, a couple of months until European football's back, and they are going great guns. Admittedly, in not a particularly good league, I scrolled through the league table and I only recognised two or three clubs, if that. But they're they're we're talking of momentum. They've got plenty. They have unbeaten this year, played 11, um, well, scored 33, conceded 3. Now, we'll find out how good they are and how good that league is, but ultimately you can't do much more than that, can you? And they finished second in their group, hence the reason that they're playing us. They didn't qualify for the Champions League, they lost out to Michelin, but they do have a, a fairly solid record over recent years 
against some big sides in Champions League football, etc. So there are no pushovers, but in terms of teams that we could play, it would be in the category of, yeah, we'll take that. First of all, disappointing in terms of fans because, I mean, who knows? Maybe it's the case we could go. I, I doubt it very much. But what an away day that would have been. Prague, brilliant. That would have been great. Big shame there. Um, but when you're watching the draw, I don't know whether you were, but I was watching the draw earlier, and the likes of Dinamo Kiev come out, and you're like, oh my, no, you know, thankfully no, Benfica, and you're like, well, again, an amazing away day that would have been to see the uh, that stadium. What's it called? It's um, I've flown over it, but anyway, um, and that would have been great. Essentially, it's the Emirates Stadium, but just in Benfica in um, in Lisbon, but. Uh, yeah, so ultimately, uh, a good draw against a good opposition, but I think most Leicester fans will look at it and go, yeah, we can we can take that. It's always going to be difficult. Now, knockout stages, last 32. Uh, I kind of secretly wanted, I don't know whether we could have got them because of the, uh, I think they dropped down from the Champions League, I'm not too sure, but Red Star Belgrade. I have, I wanted that. They were in my waters, if you know what I mean. Yeah, a bit of a revenge, but... Um, that goal for Red Star at Filbert Street, I was stood behind the goal. Tim Flowers had no idea that ball was coming. Flew into the top corner from wherever because there was so much mist and fog well, fog and smoke coming from the away fans and their um, their flares. I couldn't see. All of a sudden, this ball popped out of the mist and fog and just flew in the top corner. Flowers, who did say at the time, that, oh, no, no, he, he never blamed it on that. Rubbish. He had no idea that shot was taken. It just came from nowhere. But again... Um, how many years ago was that? Twenty years ago now, but I was gonna say, Pete, that's that's twenty years you've been clinging on to this. At some point, we've got to draw Red Star Belgrade in a European game, or even just a pre-season friendly. We've got to go and play him just so you can exercise some of those demons. Because I could I could feel the the hurt and the pain in your voice still two decades on. It was it was nonsense. I stood there in the cop. I was in the boot boys in the corner, and where you stood on your seats. And you ended up five rows in front every time Leicester scored. Crazy stuff, but brilliant. And all of a sudden, this ball came. Like watching the game, it's like, have they actually kicked off? They've kicked off, and we can't see past the edge of the penalty area. And then this ball just flies in from nowhere into the top corner. All right, goal, one down, brilliant. Five minutes gone or three minutes gone. Um, so anyway, we'll we'll cross that hurdle when we get there. But ultimately, um, it could have been an awful lot worse. But we'll find out what happens in the next uh, next couple of months. Um, yeah, we'll really talk about the game against AEK. It was a great goal by Cengiz Under, and um, it gives him a hopefully a big boost for when we need him to come off the bench. And who knows what can happen in the next few games? Really, it's a uh, it was um, it was it was a cracking goal and a and a, a good performance against a you know a poor outfit. But uh, it, it righted the wrongs of what happened in the Premier League against Fulham, and it kick started then. Um, towards the weekend and ultimately carried on the form against uh, against Sheffield United and and then against Brighton. So um, yes, we move on in the uh, in the Europa League now. Before we go on to the FPL, which will be the final thing we do, uh, just to mention Jamie Vardy's goal. Um, it was a stat that's been going around: 113 goals in the Premier League now. So he moves to 19th on the uh, the all time list. Of Premier League goal scorers, so he's uh, gone past um, Ian Wright. So he's now level with Romelu Lukaku. Um, 
Ahead of them, so he's got 113 in the Premier League. Stephen Gerrard, 120. Dwight York in 17th on 123. Nicholas Anelka, 125 goals. That's more than I actually thought in 16th place. And then you go all the way from Robbie Keane, Hasselbank, Van Persie. There's a big gap there. Hasselbank, 127. And Van Persie, 144. Teddy Sheringham, 146. 149 for Celes Ferdinand. Um, Michael Owen, 150. I know um, it's been highlighted by a few Harry Kane's obviously going to go further higher but, uh, up the league but 150 goals possible for uh, for Jamie Vardy so 113 now 37 more goals needed well if you take in the rest of this season and the chances of Vardy scoring 13 goals in the Premier League is probably about about level isn't it that's that that will be a good end of season but still and then you've got another 20 goal season in him or at least more 20 more goals i think 150 is is a as a good target to aim for and more than likely will be in and around what he'll end up with and he's not showing any signs of slowing down you know when we we, we did a pre-season podcast this summer and po- probably last summer as well we were we were saying that a priority in recruitment certainly not necessarily within bringing in a transfer, but in terms of scouting and keeping an eye out and making sure that there is a uh, a long-term plan for a successor for Jamie Vardy. I think we probably expected the need to be a little bit um, sooner. And I'm really glad that it's not coming around because he's showing no signs of slowing down. He's still got the turn of pace that makes him the player that he is. Um, he can get through games... I think I heard on the commentary yesterday that he had nine touches in the first half and he got uh, two assists and a, and a goal, which is blinding stats, really. That's that's extremely effective. So he's not showing any signs of slowing down. He could very conceivably reach 150. And for, for a man that, you know, almost sort of quit the professional game when he when he's, he was struggling for, for Leicester outside of the Premier League, when one Premier League goal seemed a million miles away, to be now in the top 20 in company of the, the kind of names that you've just reeled off there is is an exceptional achievement, really. Um, uh, Garth Crooks, whatever you think of him as a pundit, said that uh, there's no reason why he couldn't carry on playing until he's late 30s like Ibrahimovic. I think I would beg to differ because they're they're very different styles of player. Ibrahimovic has never moved an awful lot, and just because he's thirty nine doesn't mean he's going to start moving now. Whereas Vardy, you know, mind you, we have been saying it for a couple of years. It, it, it will surely in the next couple start to slow down a little bit. But as you say, Pete, if he gets um, himself above the sort of customary twenty odd goals again this season, and then has another decent campaign next year. Who knows? What a phenomenal achievement that would be for for a man that spent so long playing part-time football. And, you know, I, I, I got a bit of stick from uh, some of the local Sheffield United fans and, and the Wednesday fans, to be perfectly honest with you. And, and a lot of people from all clubs around the, the country have a particular dislike for Jamie Vardy. And I said, well, I, could, I can see why I'd probably be in your shoes, but if if he didn't play for Leicester, but the fact is he wears a Leicester shirt. He scores a ridiculous number of goals for us, um, and long may that continue. Guy's a hero, best players ever to play for the club, and I I echo your thought. If he wasn't playing for Leicester, if he was, um, if he did what he did for Leicester, but he was doing it for Everton, let's just use it as a as an apt kind of uh, team. I would hate him. 
It's quite you would do, wouldn't you? You find him really annoying, but but there you go. Tough plays for us, doesn't he? Anyway, it was down to Vardy for a dramatic drop from my team in the fancy Premier League side or team or league or whatever it is, whatever nonsense it is. So these are the top ten sides starting seven hundred and forty-one points in tenth place. Down is FC Mordor Humza Yazdani uh, in ninth place seven hundred and forty-three points. Joe Healy with Les Dennis down into eighth place. It's Rob Ford with Gardener's Delight. Up into seventh place, Ben Payne, Blink, One Eto, 745 points. At 749 is in sixth place, Martin Summers with Hammersmith Hardmen. Down into fifth place, Gareth Bell with Bulldogs Forever, 754. Same points is up into fourth place, Drake Martin with Drake Water, 762 points. Uh, up into third, John Follows with JFC Leicester. Up into second place, Kieran Ford, Vardy's My King, 765, and out in front still is Luke Taylor, Taylor made with 790 points. So Luke at the top, and there's a bit of a gap, I have dropped like a stone. I'm down into 12th place. After having... I was going to say, Pete, I missed hearing about uh, Frank Sinclair own goal in the top ten. I didn't, I didn't hear where you were. Sorry, can you just say that again? Yeah, down in in twelfth place. Oh, I had a shocker. I had thirty nine points. Everyone, I haven't got Vardy in the side. I know it's terrible. It's stupid. After just saying he's the best player ever to play for the football club, so lots of players in the fancy Premier League probably napped. Napped. It's not horse. Um, they captained Vardy. Napped. Um, well, it's the same sort of thing. Um, they captain Vardy, so everyone got 60, 70, 80-odd points. I got 39. But it is very close because it's 14 points between myself and fourth. So <laughs> I have dropped down an awful lot, but uh, but still, that was the uh, that was a dramatically poor week. Uh, I'm can't find yourself. Where? 110, 110, 43. So you are equally a really poor week. But, um, but Yeah, and I had Vardy in my team as well. Oh my god! I mean, actually, I I captain Mo Salah, so his late goal. If it wasn't for that, it would have been horrible. I say this on the basis of I do at the moment. It looks like I have a really good week this week. Now I know, obviously, I don't know what's going to happen, but just the side alone, and not to bore everyone with exactly who it is. I've got three Villa players. They got Burnley at home. I've got three Man City players. They got West Brom at home, and I've got Fernandez from Man U, and they got Sheffield United away. I've got Tellez as well. Hopefully, he plays, and again away at Sheffield United. So, hopefully, and um, and the goalkeeper's playing away against Wolves, and they can't score a goal. So, hopefully. This midweek could be a good week, and Christ, I need it. The problem I've had is that I've captained uh, Jesus, who hasn't scored against two sides, really easy sides at home, and then um, he's now got an easy side in West Brom. So I've gone with Kevin De Bruyne as the as the captain this week. So hopefully, I can bounce back, and I wouldn't be surprised, Rob. And I'll say this as a prediction: What did I say? I'm only what fourteen points off fourth. I'm going to predict that I'm in fourth place next week. That's very, very bold. I'm going to predict that I make it clamber back inside the top 100. It's um, I captained James Ward-Prowse this week, and you know he created the most goal-scoring what? opportunities in a game in a single game that he ever has in the Premier League. Did he get an assist? Did he bobbins? Well, I don't know what his Southampton teammates are doing. He's laying it on a plate for them, and they're not putting it away. Oh, I well, never mind. It's um. 
I've got plans though. I've looked further forward. I've got double game weeks and one game week where there's only five games all planned and this, that and the other. So um, all hope is not lost, although going very well is uh, Luke at the top. Uh, he's uh, a canny operator, just looking at his side. He hasn't got Vardy, but uh, he picked up uh, a fair few points. Uh, points Bedernak at the back, um, if he got them, he got quite a few, didn't he? But anyway, that's the fancy football. Final thing is, obviously, we're approaching Christmas. Now, with all the games being played it's going to be slightly awkward to get in a kind of a christmas podcast christmas special but um i've got one or two ideas up my sleeve essentially kind of a, a not a mini review of the season but a, a look giving like awards out for players so far this year something along those lines but if you've got any ideas regarding the christmas special um again along the same lines of maybe who's been the best at this that and the other maybe something funny the worst of whatever um, if you've got any ideas, send them to us for fox8podcast at gmail.com is the email address. Contact us on social media at FFSpod on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook just by searching for For Fox Sake. You can listen to the podcast however you're listening to it now, that way, but also you can listen to us Apple Podcasts or iTunes as it used to be called, Spotify, we're on there. And we're on SoundCloud as well. Always give us a review. So if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, make sure you click well, click five stars, click, click how many you want, and leave a nice review. That really does help, by the way. So it's not just kind of a, a nice thing to do. It actually does um, help the podcast and also on Spotify, etc., etc. Um, that's about it, Rob. Anything else? Any more business? Nothing at all, no. We will do some kind of festive edition before Christmas. Probably it'll probably be next week, won't it? Yeah, uh, if we when we know we're playing on Wednesday um, against Everton, and then we've got the game on uh, at the weekend against Tottenham. As I say, as I bring up the fixtures in front of me, uh, yeah. So yeah, we've got Everton to Wednesday. Be, be between the Spurs and the United game, isn't it? Yes, yeah, Sunday two fifteen is the game against Spurs, and then it's Saturday, which is Boxing Day uh, against Manchester United. So yeah, after the Spurs game, which will be great because half the podcast can be a look at the Everton game and the Spurs game, and then you know something stupid for half an hour. Um, not that anything else really is stupid; it always is. La di da di da. And there we go. 